good evening. We're listening to our next episode of the Duval Dams podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Afghanistan, a topic that all of us are seeing in the news right now. Uh, we have an expert that is in this area, Dr. Kupchin, uh, who is a senior fellow at the Council of Foreign Relations. He also has a book out that you must get. Uh, it's titled Isolationism, A History of America's Effort to Shield Itself from the World. Um, so, Dr. Kupchin, um, we are definitely seeing a lot of things in the news regarding Afghanistan, uh, the president's decision to withdraw troops um, from a 20-year world war. Um, uh, but obviously, um, you have an opinion on this subject. Um, you've said that the collapse of Afghanistan's military and the governing institutions uh, it has reaffirms the United States' court um, decision to kind of pull out, um, how quickly it fell, obviously, with the Taliban taking over the country. Um, but you've heard f- firm in the idea that uh, pulling out was the right decision. Uh, can you kind of explain that? Sure. Good to, good to be with you, and thank you for trying to shed light on an, uh, an issue that's very important and is... Uh, on our plate, uh, so to speak, as uh, as the day unfolds. Unfortunately, we've just heard in the last few hours uh, of, a, of a major bombing near the airport in Kabul. Servicemen uh, have, been, have been killed. We don't know exactly how many, but we know that quite a few people were killed and wounded today. And that just makes a tragic situation in Kabul even more tragic. It does not, however, change my view that President Biden is doing the right thing in calling a quit to the military mission. Uh, And we have been in Afghanistan for 20 years. We've been expending upwards of $2 trillion to get the country on its feet, to have it cohere as a modern integrated state that protects human rights and civil rights. It's been a very noble effort, but it hasn't worked. Uh, and one of the reasons that I, th- I, I feel confident in saying it hasn't worked is look what happened when the United States b- began to withdraw. The Afghan military, the Afghan government basically collapsed overnight. And the Taliban took the country, including the government, the capital in Kabul, in a matter of days, few weeks. Uh, and that said to me, listen, there was no there there. We've been trying to build this country and build up partners for 20 years. It hasn't worked. I don't see a theory of the case that if we stay another year, another two years, another three years, that it's going to make much of a difference. So it's, it's painful to watch. I think the Biden administration misjudged how quickly the Taliban would advance across the country. But the big picture is Biden is making a tough but correct decision to end a mission in Afghanistan that, number one, wasn't going well, and number two, was in search of an unreachable goal, and that is building an integrated, unitary, modern Afghan state. Very well said. I, thank you for explaining that, Dr. Kupchin. Um, So in the past two weeks or so, we've seen 
like many media outlets, many political pundits uh, criticizing the the way uh, the, the U.S. pullout from Afghanistan. Um, and one thing that uh, is being thrown around a lot, one phrase that we he- keep hearing is, "It's not that we pulled out; it's how we pulled out." Now, given the recent ISIS-K bomb attacks near the Kabul airport today, um, and the possibility for more terrorist attacks, is there another way that the U.S. could have handled the withdrawal? Well, I I would be as critical of the how uh, as my colleagues who are opposed to the to the withdrawal. Uh, and, but I do think it's important to distinguish the decision to get out from the implementation. And there, the the I think the intelligence community got it wrong. Right? If you go back several months and you look at what Biden was saying, he was saying we've got six months, a year, maybe two years before Kabul falls. And they based their withdrawal strategy on that timeline. They believed that they had a decent interval to get American civilians out, to get at-risk Afghans out, to get the forces and the civilian workers of our coalition partners out. How do we know that they thought that? Because otherwise they wouldn't have done what they did. They wouldn't have moved so quickly to get American forces out. So somebody does need to dig in to why the intelligence assessments were as off base as they were. Uh, and, And yes, we left too quickly. We should have kept more forces there to make this evacuation safer, smoother, and less tragic. I mean, right, we're, we're seeing a panic in Kabul. People are, are running to the airport. They're, they're getting blown up outside the airport wall. It's a, it's a chaotic mess. So yeah, the, the implementation has not gone well. Uh, and we do need a post-mortem on why the assessment of how long the Afghans would be able to hold off the Taliban. Why was that assessment so off base? And I I hear you there because I think a lot of people have that genuine humanitarian concern um, for U.S. citizens that are on the ground that are trying to evacuate for Afghanis that helped us uh, over the course of the last 20 years uh, in terms of linguistics or helping in embassies or, or, or UN missions. Um, and some of our NATO supporting allies as well. Um, at last count, I think we're somewhere a little under or over 100,000 people that we've evacuated. I, I think the administration has called it one of the largest airborne rescues in history. Um, but the deadline is still for us to pull out by August 31st. And obviously, you have to give time for um, the military to be able to pull out uh, uh, men and women and in, 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 in equipment beforehand. Um, do you think we meet that deadline to uh, to the commitment that the president and the secretary of state have made that anyone who is a U.S. citizen um, uh, will be able to get out um, by the 31st? Or uh, do you think we're going to have to make provisions um, as to how we kind of deal with them after that deadline? There was an emergency gathering of of the G7 leaders a few days ago. G7 is a grouping of the world's leading democracies, the major economies. And the message that Biden heard was, 
hey, delay. Let's not rush to meet some deadline of the 31st of August if we're not done. And I think Biden basically said, I'm sticking to 31 for now. And I, and I understand why he did that. He did that in part to keep the, the agreement with the Taliban in place, to make sure that those people who want out feel an urgency so that they do what they can to get to the airport or get to a border. I would not be surprised if that deadline slips. Uh, and that's because we don't want to see Americans or at-risk Afghans stuck. Biden is somebody who is an empathetic human being. He knows there's a lot of a lot of suffering going on. I think what he's trying to avoid is a situation in which the Taliban decide that we're not honoring our agreement, and then they start making things more difficult. At least for now, they have they have been somewhat cooperative in enabling the evacuation to proceed. Some exceptions to that. Uh, and and that's that's important because we don't want to be in a situation in which American Marines are in the streets of Kabul and the air and the back alleys of Kabul in a firefight with the Taliban trying to get people to the airport. Uh, so let's wait and see what happens prior to August 31. My sense is if need be to get more people out, uh, that that there may be some wiggle room. And I also think that especially after the bombings that have taken place near the airport, there may be an effort to look at other routes out, overland routes, uh, ways of getting folks out of the country that may not put them in harm's way outside the walls of Kabul airport in a way that becomes a quite lucrative target for an Islamic State suicide bomber. So I, I, have, a, I have another question, um, but I just want to follow up real quick on what you just, uh, the last part. Um, do you think that with like the, the two terrorist bombings that we just saw today, there will, might, this might lead to a, a new surge in troops uh, into, Afghan, into the country? I think the chances of that are quite slim. Uh, I think Biden has made up his mind. He said the buck stops here. I own this and I, I'm making the right decision and I'm going to I'm going to keep going. And I stand with him. I think it is the right decision, even though it's painful and, and, and the U.S. is taking a hit, given that the implementation has 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 been lacking. Uh, I also think that, you know, in many respects, as I've said, the rapidity of the collapse of the Afghan army and government. The fact that Islamic State is able to carry out local attacks, this only reinforces the sense that we better wrap up this mission sooner rather than later. We don't have a partner. We can't control the situation on the ground, right? It's important to point out that the United States has lost its eyes and ears. Right. We have we've left our outposts. We've closed up the big air base. As far as I know, the embassy is closed or maybe there are just a few people left. So we don't have the eyes and ears, the capacity 
to gather intelligence and to keep watch on what's happening. That makes it even more imperative that we move quickly to get as many people out as possible because the situation on the ground is much less safe than when we had a large footprint and when we were able to gather intelligence in a more effective way. Okay, gotcha. Thank you for clearing that up. Um, so my the back to uh, my original question. Um, so now that the Taliban um, is taking control of Afghanistan, controlling most of the territory there, how, how, do you, do, how, how do you believe that they'll govern? Do you have any insight into how they'll govern the country? And um, should we be concerned about like the human rights violations uh, that they're that they're known for. Nobody, nobody knows the answer to that question. It is a, it's a huge question. You look at their track record. You would come away pretty skeptical that they're going to govern in a more responsible fashion. I think that we need to withhold judgment and wait and see how things play out. There are. There are several reasons to believe that they may govern in a more responsible fashion than the past. One is they want international recognition. They want international assistance. They don't want to be a pariah state. And as a consequence, they may try to clean up their act. And the United States, European partners, others are saying to them, we are going to wait and see how you behave before we make any decisions about providing inter international assistance and, and, and helping you. So they, they're on notice. A second issue that's at play is that the country has changed. Civil society is stronger. Women have enjoyed rights that they didn't have under the Taliban. Right? And let's keep in mind that Afghanistan is full of younger people. Right? A lot of people in Afghanistan are under the age of 20, and they did not grow up under Taliban rule. They grew up in a country that was moving forward. They have cell phones. They have access to the Internet. And so it's going to be hard for the Taliban to run roughshod over a society that has evolved and in which it, it may push back against an effort to turn them back into some uh, very conservative society. And then the final point I'd make, and this speaks more directly to the terrorism issue, I think it's unlikely that the Taliban would again provide safe haven or safe harbor to a group like Al-Qaeda. That's because they don't need to. They're doing pretty well on their own. They don't need the help of foreign-based groups. And secondly, I think that Al-Qaeda has other places to go where it's much easier to reconstitute. There are countries in Africa. Syria is another example. So uh, yes, there are remnants of Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State in Afghanistan, we just saw that today because the Islamic State appears to have been behind these two bombing attacks. But I am cautiously optimistic that the Taliban is not going to go back to getting into bed 
with groups like al-Qaeda that are trying to attack the United States or its allies. And this kind of causes me to ask that existential question. Um, I was watching an episode of Crooked Media, so I can't take credit for this question, uh, but it, it sat with me, and I think it's, it's, it's a good point from where we are in this conversation. Um, the United States is obviously the shining beacon of, of hope for democracy. We're, 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 we're that refuge. Uh, the world looks to us for that moral leadership. Um, but how do we protect and defend human rights around the world beyond military intervention? Because I, I think Afghanistan kind of crystallizes that question right now. Well, you know, Daniel, in some ways, I think you're you're putting your finger on a a core dilemma that has been with this country for a quite a long time and really goes back to the founding era when Americans saw themselves as the chosen nation, as the people that would bring democracy and liberal values and enlightenment principles to the world. And that's been guiding our evolution ever since. And starting in 1898 with the Spanish-American War, we decided to take manifest destiny on the road and export our principles and not just model them. And it's been, I think, on one level, an amazing success. I think the United States has bent the arc of history in a progressive direction. The world is a better place because the United States came along. On the other hand, it has also led us into some of our most egregious failures, right? One of the reasons that Afghanistan hasn't gone well is that we thought we could turn it into Ohio. We thought we could turn Iraq into Ohio. We thought we could turn Libya into Michigan. We thought we could turn Syria into Florida. And guess what? It didn't work. And so Americans are now kind of saying, hey, well, wait a minute. We thought that we were this great country going out to save the world, to export American principles, to bring human rights. And what do they do? They shoot at us. They blow us up. We're going to go home. Uh, and and, I, and that's, that is the, the, the sort of, in some ways, the inescapable dilemma of the American experience. We feel an obligation to go out and change the world but sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes the world changes us. In fact, I would go so far as to say that understanding Donald Trump, understanding the illiberal populism of the Trump era requires understanding that for many Americans, they looked at this story and they said, hey, too much world, not enough America. What about us? Why are we building schools in Kandahar and Kabul when we should be building them in Kenosha, when we should be building them in Kansas? And I think Trump was, to some extent, a reaction to what I would call overreach. And that overreach was in part ideological, this idea 
that America could go out and transform the world. Uh, and, and I think Biden, one of the reasons that I think Biden is pulling back is because he understands that 70% of the American public wants us out of Afghanistan, Democrats and Republicans. Uh, and so this is- there's one of the few areas that I think Biden and Trump agreed on during yeah. the 20th election. Yeah. And it's been a searing experience. And I'm confident that, that it, when the dust settles, we will emerge stronger. We'll emerge stronger because we made a tough decision under adverse circumstances. We will be able to realign our strategic priorities and focus on big ticket items like Russia and China. And perhaps most importantly, we will rebuild at home. But how much money have we spent on the wars in the Middle East? Six trillion. What what in my mind is the big news of the last couple of weeks? It's not the mess in Afghanistan. It's that we seem to have in sight a $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill and a $3 trillion not bipartisan, but three trillion investment in American workers in the American economy. We desperately need that kind of investment at home. And in many respects, it's an investment in our power abroad because strength starts at home. And so this is a tough moment for America and Americans, but I also think it's the beginning of a a realignment that will lead to a renewal. I would agree with that. Um, I think uh, one of my favorite presidents is is, is Lyndon B. Johnson. Um, But I think the level of investment that the president is trying to infuse into the American economy economy and to Americans uh, is almost to the scale of the New Deal, um, but with the pragmatism of, of, of LBJ. Um, and I agree that I think that's the one way I think we'll be able to truly get the level of investment that I think our country desperately needs and turn a chapter that we have long been on uh, in regards to the Afghani war. Um, so let me ask you this, this question this way. Um, for the president's foreign policy, um, I think we're seeing an example of how he's trying to rebuild relationships that have been frayed. Um, since the Trump administration, um, this withdrawal is the first test as to the resolve of our NATO allies in the G7 to kind of stick with the wisdom of some of our decisions. Um, but it's been a bumpy ride, obviously, because I know a lot of them have had their opinions about how we should withdraw. So how does he kind of keep everything steady um, when how we withdraw from Afghanistan a week from now, two weeks from now, a year from now, in terms of the ramifications, is unpredictable. And to ensure that the American people stay with the opinion that withdrawal was the right decision. There's no way around the the damage that's being done, okay? We got to be honest about it. This is a bad week for the Biden administration. And that's because the images that we're seeing are searing. 
And we just have to admit that and accept it. But I do think that this too will pass. That as it passes, we as a country need to do everything we can to alleviate humanitarian suffering, whether that is sending more aircraft over there, working with our allies to put pressure on the Taliban. My wife and I spent uh, two nights ago dealing with our local community to get ready to integrate 175 Afghan families into the local community here in, in Maryland. I know 175 is a drop in the bucket, but hey, it's, it's a start. We need to open our hearts uh, and to some extent our wallets to, to those people who helped us and stood with us in, in Afghanistan. So we need to do what we can under very difficult circumstances. But I do think that the, the situation will, will stabilize, we'll get out as many as we can and then Afghanistan will head in a direction over which we don't have much control. And the conversation and the news cycle will gradually shift to, to other items. And I'm, I'm reasonably confident that when the dust settles, when the folks that need to get out of Afghanistan are out and Afghanistan has some kind of functioning government, that our core relationships with our allies will rebound. It's a tough time for everybody, but it is not a moment what I would call a watershed. And that's because I think in the end of the day, our allies realize that we're doing this not because we don't stand by our commitments, but because we're making a tough judgment that this commitment wasn't working and that we want to be able to clear the decks to stand by our primary strategic commitments, our core national security interests. And so in that respect, I think our allies can take a certain amount of um, succor, a certain amount of, of relief, that this is not really about a United States that's walking away from important commitments. It's about a United States that is able to take tough decisions to make strategic choices and to realign its priorities when it needs to do so. And I would go uh, so far as to also say, make a decision that three other presidents, no, two other presidents were unable to make, because I think a, a lot of people in this space have talked about how a withdrawal from Afghanistan should have happened a long time ago. Um, and the the images that we're seeing in the results may very well have happened the exact same way. There's 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 no perfect way to disengage yourself from a country that you've been trying to do nation building with for the last two decades. Yeah, I mean, I was just on a call with some colleagues, and they made the case that hey, we sh it, everything was fine. We should have just left to twenty five hundred, three thousand troops, and. And, and, and everything would have been fine. This wouldn't have happened. And my response to that was, no, no, that's irresponsible, right? You need to make a theory of the case that if we stay another six months, if we stay another year, if we stay another two years, that the outcome 
would be tangibly different and tangibly better. I don't think you could make that case. And that's why I think Biden did the courageous thing here, and that's to rip off the Band-Aid. And the one thing that that sticks in my mind, Daniel, coming back to the point you just made, when he spoke to the American people, I think it was a, a Monday after he came back from Camp David, he said, I'm not going to pass this on to the next American president. I'm going to end this war on my watch. Uh, that's a tough thing to do. But that's why I stand by him and think he did the right thing. I think a lot of people agree with that. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think everyone uh, holds that faith that everything will work out in the way that it's supposed to. Um, and frankly, we, I think we shouldn't forget about the capabilities of both our intelligence community, our armed forces, to be able to deal with constant threats that we see all around the world. It, terrorism is not centralized in Afghanistan. I think the president has made a point <laughs> about that. Um, over and over again. And, and I think this is an opportunity for us to be able to really focus on those evolving areas um, that we are seeing more uh, potential risk. Um, do, do you agree with that? Yes. I mean, that's, that's uh, when I think about what's going on here, we're just making some very tough decisions about what matters, what matters most, what's the hierarchy of risks that we face. And it's my judgment as a professional who also served on the National Security Council under Obama and Clinton that the core threat to the United States and its allies stemming from Afghanistan has been effectively countered. We've decimated al-Qaeda. We've rolled back the Islamic State. They're not going to be able to launch attacks against us from Afghanistan like they did on 9-11. It would be nice if we could also leave Afghanistan with a fully functioning democracy, full civil rights, full human rights, full women's rights. But I fear that that is a bridge too far. Uh, and when I look at, at the wars that we've been fighting for the last 20 years, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Libya, They've, they've not produced what we hoped they would. We had noble intent, but they haven't panned out well. And that's why I think this is the moment in which the president is right to say, it's time to take stock. It's time to reduce the footprint in the Middle East and to focus on Russia, China, and the other pressing issues that face this nation including the domestic challenges, but also emerging international challenges, climate change, cybersecurity, pandemics, <laughs> right? I mean, we, right. we, we thought we're we learning were in, that in good shape. What, what, <laughs> now we're the Delta is the Delta virus is, is everywhere. So, you know, we got, we got a lot of priorities. And when you have a lot of priorities, it's up to the, commander-in-chief to make tough choices. And that's what he, he promised during his campaign. I, I think this is the one thing that, and it strikes me, that people are surprised by when he told you, exactly, he told us exactly what he was 
he was going to do. Um, and, and I think one of the points that he kind of made during his campaign that I took from it uh, was he was going to make difficult choices regardless of how they play politically. And he was going to sell it to you as to why he made that decision. Um, and I think a lot of us, um, and I think it's kind of being covered in the media that way, that we're all kind of surprised that he made this decision. He's sticking to the decision, come what may, um, no matter how difficult it is. Um, and I think it would be easy politically to kind of retrench yourself into a new position because it, it, it just we're seeing those searing images that you talked about earlier on in the conversation. Um, but I think we kind of need this type of medicine in order for us to be able to truly shift from the direction that we've been in. Um, and I, like you said, there are other threats in the world that we have to deal with and we have to reprioritize ourselves to be able to deal with that. I think we're in agreement. <laughs> All right. Well, I really respect you um, and the amount of time that you took with us uh, today. Uh, hopefully a lot of our listeners gleaned a lot more information about um, Afghanistan and foreign policy and, and why the president made the decision that he did. Um, but thank you again for joining us. Really appreciate you joining our podcast. Again, if you want to learn more about um, Professor Kupchen, you can read his new book, Isolationism, A History of America's Effort to Shield Itself from the World. Um, and you can listen to another episode of the Duval Dems podcast every Monday on each of the podcast platforms you can think of. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And, and thank you for doing the nation a service by hosting important conversations about important topics. Thank you.